I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries, and I'm teaching on Tuesday, and the subject is very broad that I'm teaching on. I'm teaching on the spiritual Sabbath. Wednesday. What? Wednesday. You said Tuesday again. Wednesday. Did I say Tuesday? Wednesday, excuse me. I'm here on Wednesday. Thank you, Victor. I need correction. You're my you're my Mary today, okay? <laughs> so I'm teaching on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not once a week. The Sabbath is every day. Sabbath means to rest. It does not mean seventh. It means rest. There was more than one weekly Sabbath in Israel. All of the holy days were Sabbaths, and plus other days along the way. I'm not going to go into it. And it means to rest. When you learn to believe the sovereignty of God, The sovereignty of God means, sovereign means God is over all. And that means over all good, over all evil. God said, I make peace and create evil, and I create it for your good in your life. So that's every day. When you believe in predestination, we're predestined to be conformed. To the image, to the image of Christ. Image is the word icon, and that means the likeness. And what God uses to conform us is fire, trials, persecution, tribulation. And when you realize these things are for your good, he uses the scourge. He said, I scourge every son I receive. We don't receive him. He receives us. Scourge is the word mastics. It comes from the word mastigao. Mastigao was a little short whip with pieces of leather thongs and it had pieces of glass and bone and metal all through it and God says I scourge every son I receive so you can be partaker of my holiness and holiness is the word hagiasmos h-a-g-i-a-s-m-o-s it is a form of hagios hagios is the word holy which means pure. And what makes us pure is the fire that burns out the dross in our life or the imperfections, which is sin. And that takes a long time. And when you learn to believe that you're predestined to be like Christ through all of this fire, trial, persecution, scourge, and it's a difficult way to heaven. Going to heaven is not easy. It is difficult. It is, the Bible says, if the righteous scarcely be saved. Mogis, M-O-G-I-S, is a form of molis, which means with great difficulty. 
it is difficult being a believer because you're going to have to, when you start taking a stand for truth after so much fire and trial and persecution, then people get to where they hate you. Jesus said, if the world hate me, it'll hate you. They hated him for his words, for his words. So through much difficulty, we have to enter. That's the narrow way, narrow and the word tribulation are forms of the same word. Tribulation, which is what we have to go through down here. I don't know I didn't put that in there. Tribulation. I'll just put trib. And narrow is the word T-H-L-I-B-O. That is the verb form of tribulation, which is the word thalipsis. T-H. L-I-P-S-I-S. It's just a form of Thalibo. Narrow is the way, and only a few will find it. These people that say going to heaven is easy, it is not. That's why when you come to the place after you get older, and you go through all these things for years, and you surrender up to God, I've done that, I've surrendered to God. I was a believer as a little boy at seven years old or somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't know when it started. And then I grew up and I went through all of this fire and trial and persecution, went through frustration, went through nerve problems and all of that until I began to realize that God was dealing with me to live righteous and holy and godly. And when you begin to believe all of this, as you become an old man, you can rest in the spiritual Sabbath. And Sabbath means you will cease from work. That's what they did every Sabbath day. And any Sabbath days they had, they could not work. They ceased from work. There's a word in the New Testament, kataposis. It means to settle down, and it comes from the word pause, which means to cease. And kata means down. It means to settle down. And when we get older, we settle down, and we don't want to fight anymore. We don't want to try to seek our our uh, careers and see what we can do and make our life better and get this house and get that car and get this money and get this investment. We don't want that anymore. I don't want any of it at, at 81 years old. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about accomplishments. I don't care about awards. I think it's ridiculous these people that get on TV and they get this singing award or this, uh, this football or baseball award. It, it doesn't mean nothing. Fifty years from now, nobody's going to care. I keep saying this. Who was the richest man in the world in 1920? Who cares? Don't mean nothing. Not now. He's dead, and it's gone to his relatives, and they've gone into all kinds of courts fighting over the money. It don't mean nothing. Now, I'm on a trail here I want you to see. Look here in... Back in Hebrews 4, this word kataposis is used all through these two chapters, Hebrews 3 and 4. There's a verse that I'm using 
come out as a springboard here in chapter 4 and here in verse we read 8 and 9 and 10 for Jesus had if Jesus had given these people rest and he's talking about the people that murmured against God when they were supposed to be going into they were in the wilderness that's what these two chapters are about they were in the wilderness and they did not want to do what God said do by going in and fighting the men of Anak which they were giants I'll get to it in a minute here it is they didn't they came out of Egypt to come down here to to Sinai and Moses got the law they come up here to Kadesh Barnea and God tells them to go in to what we call the Gaza Strip but it was actually called the land of Anak it's on the southwest corner of Israel it's a little strip of land we call it the Gaza Strip there's the city of Gaza and Ashkelon and so forth and Gath was up there the hometown of uh, Goliath and these men were so tall and God says you refuse to go in and attack them. So he's telling us if they had have rested, they would have entered into Canaan. But instead, he killed everybody off from 20 years old and upward, which was military age in Israel at that time. So he says here in verse 8 of chapter 4, for if Jesus had given them rest, those people that wouldn't go into the land, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest. The word rest in verse 8 is katapasis, and he ties katapasis in verse 9 with katapasis. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Notice rest and rest are tied together. The rest in 8 is katapasis. The rest in 9 is sabbatismos. S-A-B-B-I-S-T-I-S-M-O-S. It means Sabbath. There remains a Sabbath of this katapasis, katapasis. I wrote it down here. There remains a Sabbath or a catapasis to those people. And here's what you have to do in order to get to that rest. He also, for he that is entered into his catapasis has ceased. And that word ceased is the word catapao. He ceased from his own works. The word works is ergon, E-R-G-O-N. Ergon is the common word for works. And back over to one more time to Galatians. I'm having to set this up in order to teach it. Galatians, here is the works of man. Here in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and you find the Bible says the works of the flesh are these the works, the ergon of the flesh. This is what a man ceases from. Now, whenever we read this in Galatians, the fifth chapter, it's going to tell you about the sin 
that man has to cease that he has when he first comes to the knowledge of Christ. When he first comes to Christ, he is a baby believer. He has little faith. Little faith. And the word is, every time he would say to the apostles, O ye of little faith, the word is oligos, pistis. Pistis is the word faith. Oligos means puny. That's the word little. O ye of puny faith. Well, they were just kids. They were boys. They were probably... 19, 20, 21, 22, when Jesus called them, they were not old men. That's why they had little faith. And the Bible says you have to add to your faith. Add to faith. And it names seven things that takes a lifetime to add. Seven things. Not going to go through that right now. I've gone through it many, many times. That's in Second Peter 1 and 5. Second Peter 1 and 5. I always like to give you the first thing on the list, virtue. Because that word virtue, arete, means maturity. You cannot mature overnight. It takes years to mature. Now, so he would say to the apostles, O ye of little faith, you have to overcome through fire and trials and persecution. There is, I have keep putting this on the board, there is in the believer, there's an inner man. And that is Christ. The way Colossians one twenty seven puts it, Christ in you, in you, the hope of glory. You've got other places in John 14 where the Lord would say, I am in you and you are in me. And he says, you're in me and I'm in you. And that's the Christ in us. Then Paul says, this is all in Romans 7. You find it this outer man. The outer man serves the flesh. That is sin. That's the works of the flesh that we have to give up. Works are the ergon that we have to quit being involved in. And that is what these fire and trial and persecution is for. And over time, I always put these concentric circles. The concentric circles represent fire, trial, tribulation to get rid of self. And the outer man has got pride. He's got self. He's arrogant. That's while you're a believer. As a believer, you are arrogant. You're full of pride, you're full of self, you're full of covetousness. But the unbeliever does not have the inner man. The inner man is, it is God that worketh in you, try getting rid of this outer man over 30, 40, 50 years. And 
you, people say, but I thought we were made perfect in the Lord. Perfect doesn't mean without sin. Perfect is the word teleos. It has basically the same meaning as a rete. Virtue, it means mature or complete. It means to complete us and cause us to grow up and become men and not children anymore. So we got all of this in us covetousness and sometimes some of us have got lasciviousness which is the most low debaucherous type of sin we've got a got the lowest things in us i've had all that have you don't lie now but god has gotten rid of a whole lot of that in me personally i can give testimonies all day long on that So what this fire is for is to cause us to rest in God's Sabbath. And you're going to have list of these things. You got list of these. You got several lists. You got Romans 7. And you have 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, which is talking about the inner and the outer man put on the inner man inner man and Romans 7 talks about the inner and the outer man and then you've got Ephesians the fourth chapter that talks about putting on the inner man when you put on the inner man you're that's not an invitation when he says put on put on that's what in duo in duo means to sink into clothing we have one clothing our robes have been made white in the blood of christ a blood baptism is our clothing and a blood baptism was a death or it was a martyrdom it was being martyred so when we put on White is the color of righteousness all through the Bible. Righteous. So when you're righteous, you've got a blood baptism and you're dying to all of that sin through persecution, through fire and trials. You're being made holy and you're giving up pride, self, arrogance, covetousness, and idolatry. You say, I don't serve idols. Are you sure of that? Are you sure? Idolatry is with E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. And idolatry comes from two words, ido and latruo. Ido means to see, and latruo means to serve. It means to serve what you see. And if you look at that person in the mirror and you admire him all the time and will decorate him up, then you're serving the idol of self. If you serve that car or that house, and it's got to be spotless all the time. I had a, when I was in real estate 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I had a client. He was nitpicky clean. I always used to joke about him. I said, if he if he was going to his mother's funeral and he saw a scratch on the door, he'd have to run down to Ace Hardware uh, to get some paint to fix it before he left. And I just thought, wow. 
and he was the neatest human being I've ever seen, and he spent his whole life being neat and didn't have time for anything else except neat. That's an idol. That's idolatry. Now, you got these other places where you're going to find the inner and the outer man. And when God says put on, in duo, sink into clothing, in duo is an imperative command. God's not inviting you to go through fire and trials. If you belong to him, he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And when those that come to me are not cast out, and they will go through fire and trial, it's given to us in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe upon him, but also to suffer for his sake and give it his word, C-H-A-R-I-Z-O-M-A-I. That's in Philippians one twenty nine, And that word given, charizomai, is a form of the word charis. Charis, and charis is the word grace. It means unmerited favor. And we have the several words related to that. Kara, which is the word joy or rejoice. And God told the Philippians, you are my joy and crown. You cannot rejoice with the world, with people that are walking disorderly. And that means joy or to rejoice. Charizomai means to grant as a favor. God has favored you to suffer for his sake. And that's the requirement of every believer. Now, when you get into these chapters here, I wish I had time to go through all of them. Romans 7, 2 Corinthians 4, Ephesians 4, Colossians, the third chapter. Now, when you give these up, where did this... I've been talking about the inner and the outer man. Where did this outer man come from? Where did the inner man come from? The inner man is the new birth. That comes from God. Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had just told Jesus, we see that you're a man come from God. No man could do these miracles you do except that were true. When Nicodemus said we see, he used the word ido. means to see or perceive. When Jesus turned around and said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus said, when he said, except you're born again, you cannot see. Nicodemus had said no. He said, he said, we know that you're come from God. But when Jesus said see, you have to be born again to see. Jesus used the same word that Nicodemus used when he said no. He used the word ido. Jesus said, if you really see the kingdom of God, you are born again. And again is the word born again. Again is the word anothen, A-N-O-T-H-E-N. It means from above. That's where the inner man comes from. It comes from God 
above. It doesn't come from man himself. Jesus has chosen his family before the foundation of the world to be holy, to be hagios by going through all of this fire, trial, persecution, and so that the man can come to a place of resting. At 81, I am really resting in everything now. I don't stress over nothing anymore. I don't see any sense in it. I'm going to be dead before long, probably before this next decade is up. Most men don't live to be 90 years old this day and time. I'm just eight and a half years from that. Most of them died 83, 84, 85. That's just two and three years from me right now. I just, I probably won't live to be 88, maybe 89, maybe. I might die at 85, which is just a step down the road. Well, you say, Jim, are you being pitiful? No, I look forward to going to be with the Lord. I'm tired of this world. I'm fed up with it. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary for the church that I remain here. That's the only reason I want to stay. It's for the church. I'm not interested in cars and houses and things. What for at my age? So I can get go down the road and look for a blonde or something? I'm not interested in that or her. It's just in your 80s, and especially when you get in your nineties, what's the use of a new car? It don't mean nothing. Car to me is to get from this point to this point. I drive a little Mini Cooper, and it wasn't even my Mini Cooper. Mary bought that and paid for that with her money, and she's four foot seven, and she couldn't. She bought it before she realized she couldn't see over the steering wheel, so she parked it in the garage, and we left it there and just kept it parked. Didn't nobody didn't drive it. Drove that 2000 RAV4 everywhere. She said, somebody's got to start driving that Mini Cooper. I said, well, I'll start driving it then. I take whatever she don't want. That's as far as a car is to me is get from this place to this place. It's not for showing off. You can't show off. Somebody's always got a better car than you do. Can you imagine being Bill Gates and trying to get a car that can show off your money? He could have a gold-plated, I could have a gold Rolls Royce, and it wouldn't mean nothing. You can when you got that much money, you can't show off. That's why one of the big famous stars who's dead now, Conway Twitty, he couldn't show off how much money he had. So he just drove an old beat-up pacer around town. That's what he drove. How can you, when you got that much money, you can't show off. It's a waste of time. I don't understand these women wearing these super diamond necklaces and if, especially if they're beautiful, all that diamond necklace does is take from their beauty. You can't decorate beauty with beauty. It, it makes no sense to me. Of course, it used to. I used to want to decorate myself up, thinking I could sell myself with diamonds and things like that. So, you got this has to go. Where did the inner man come from? He was born from above. Man, the inner man is the new birth. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, John one thirteen. So the inner man was from above. It was from God. 
Where did the outer man come from? Why do we have this outer man that can't live right? There's two men in us, and the Bible says, I'll give you the verses again. In 1 John 1 and 8, there's a man that can't quit sinning. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The same book, same writer says in 1 John 3 and 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That's the inner man. For the seed of God remains in him and he cannot sin. The outer man won't quit sinning. Little at a time, fire and trials will take over that outer man. When you get to be old, I've said this so many times, and I realize this because this is me. When you get old, you're going to have a thin veneer of self. You won't be able to completely annihilate it till you are dead. It's such a waste of time to fight the world. God has already got every man's mind fixed. David said, the Lord has fixed me. God has fixed every man. I've said this to Victor. I've said it to Dave. I've said it to other people. There is no need to fight the world out there. There's two people out there in the world. They're vessels of wrath. Of wrath, And they were fitted to destruction. And that's the majority of the world. The vessels of wrath. You're going to find them in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. 13 and 14. And they are vessels of mercy which God hath before prepared to glory. The vessels of mercy are the few. Are the few in Matthew 7. The few... And the vessels, the vessels of mercy are the few, and the vessels of wrath are the many. Many are going into the Broadway that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in there at. Few will find the narrow way. So if there's few that believe God, and I believe it's really few, then why are you fighting the world? Most of the people you're fighting out there in the world, I've told Dave and I've told Vic, Most of them are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And guess what? God made them that way. They're supposed to fight you and accuse you. They are accusers. That's what they are. They're false accusers. That's what the word diabolos means. That's one of the other words for devil, diabolos. It's the same word in the Greek and the Spanish and the Italian, diabolos. It means one who leads astray and falsely accuses. That's the first sin in the Bible where Satan hath said, as God said, that's the first lie in the Bible. Satan lied about God and said, he don't mean you'll die. I've done messages on all the lies that were in the Bible. The Bible is true, but there were men that were evil men in the Bible. There were even good righteous men like Jacob who lied to his father, said, yes, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Give me the blessing. Jacob was a lying scoundrel until God converted him on back, coming coming back from Haran. Now, goodness sakes, where did this outer man come from? I've given it to you, but I'm going to give it to you again. Go back to Genesis, the first chapter. 
I'm going to give it to you because i got more to say on this. All right. Genesis, the first chapter, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The outer man comes about in the second verse of Genesis. I've said this before. I'm going to keep saying it. In the beginning, God created. Created is a righteous word. It's a godly word. Without form is an ungodly word. How in the world did the worth get without form? Create is the word bara. Bara means to feed the best, to make fat. It means to create life. I got some papers on create and what it means, and it comes out of the theological word book of the the theological word book. A really wonderful set of books, and they will tell you all about create. I had the paper here. I don't know what it did with it, but create. Oh, here it is. Bara. It actually means to make a new thing. A new thing. Well, without form, it's not a new thing. It means to... It's a... There's one root with a basic meaning to separate or to divide. This would explain the usages of the peel stem as is often the case... It means to make something new. It has the idea of bringing into existence. What came out of God's mouth was not without form. He says so himself. Without form. From Barah we get the word Barith. That's a form of the word by definition. Bereth is the word covenant. Or testament in the New Testament. Testament and covenant are the same word throughout the New Testament. They're the word, they, they mean last. It's actually diatheke means last will and testament. It's as though God is planning the death of Christ from the first verse of the book. Create. Without form is not a righteous word. It's an unrighteous word. Without form is the word tohu. Now, this looks like God, if you read the English Bible, it looks like God created Tohu, but he said he did not create Tohu. Tohu means vain or worthless. In Isaiah forty-five eighteen, I'm going to read this to you again. I've read it before, but here's what it says in Isaiah 45 and verse 18. 45, 18. Read it one more time. 
And when you find this word tohu, you got it all through the Old Testament. Uh, you got it. It's without form. It's vain. It's worthless. Here's what God says. I'm going to read it slow. So if I, if you're going to understand Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, you've got to understand Isaiah 45, 18, because he's talking about his creation. And he says, 45, 18. I'm going to remind you of two other words. I'm going to remind you in this word create of the word uh, made and potter. Made is the word asaw. Potter is the word yatsar. Yatsar is the same word that God used when he said he formed Adam of the dust of the ground. That's not when he created Adam. Creation didn't have to do with the pounding and the making. That's a potter's term. They would put a piece of clay on a potter's wheel and you always have to put water on your hand to mold something on a potter's wheel. I remember in the third, fourth or fifth grade we went into art class and we were pounding the clay and making something with it and the teacher said, you got to pound the clay till you get all of the impurities out of it, bubbles out of it. It's got it, can't have any of that in it. She said, if, it, if it's got any bubbles in it, when you put it in the kiln, K-I-L-N, to bake it, it will break all to pieces. I pounded that clay for two weeks, I guess. <laughs> Make sure it didn't break all to pieces. And that's what God has to do. He's got to pound the clay, and that's a part of the fire and trial and the persecution that we have to go to. And the Bible says, Thou art the potter, we are the clay, we are all the works of thy hands. That's not creation. That's the pounding and putting together of things. And that is a word that is similar and has basically the same meaning as saw made. God made the earth in six days, but the six days was not the creation. The creation was the first verse. When when God created, when he brought to life the earth, it's the same thing when he brought Adam to life. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the creation of God upon Adam. Breathing. I don't know how he did that and how long it took him to do that. Don't believe in, don't believe we were once monkeys, Darwinism. I don't know how he did that. I don't believe anybody knows how he did that. Did God just pick him up and go, I don't know. Was there some way that he did it that we can't even begin to comprehend or explain? I don't know. I don't know how many, how long it took. If it took years or if it took generations or what it took, I don't know. I don't believe anybody knows. But he made Adam. He created him. He was a potter. 
and he formed him of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What is a soul? The word soul in the New Testament is the word suke, P-S-U-C-H-E-K-E. Suke. Suke is the word soul, and P-S-U... C-H-I-K-O-S is the word natural. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Natural means the physical man. The soul is body and breath in one entity. The Bible says in First Peter, that third chapter, as eight souls were saved through water. As eight souls were saved, well, there wasn't just breath saved through the water. There wasn't just bodies saved through the water. There was bodies with breath in it that were saved through the water. So, now, let's read here in Isaiah 45. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens. He created the heavens in the first verse. God himself that formed, that's not the word create. Formed is the word asa, means to do or make. Asa, that's the word formed. Formed. Formed and made are the same word, asa. He formed the earth and made it, asa. He hath established it, and this is very important, the next phrase here. God created it not in vain. He's saying in this verse, what I created in the first verse of Genesis, verse 1, was not in vain. In vain is the word tohu, the word without form is tohu. He said, what I did in the first verse of Genesis is not what's going on here. It's not what's going on in the second verse. Without form is when Satan was cast into the earth. Where does that take place? Revelation, the 12th chapter. You've got to look at things not in a chronological sense. Everything is not chronologically put together. The 12th chapter of Revelation, I keep saying this, and I'm trying to help people understand it. The 12th chapter of Revelation is not some chronology that lines up with the rest of Revelation. It doesn't mean the things in the 13th chapter follow up the 12th chapter or the things in the 11th chapter are in a chronological order. Revelation is about John seeing different visions. Different visions. And these visions, he may be looking at a, at a happening from this point and then another place he's looking at the same happening from this point and God's giving a different description of what he's seeing. Now, when you go into Revelation 12, let me read it to you. 12, verse 7. 
There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon is not a fire-breathing dragon like in the tales of uh, uh, of the English dragons in the ancient world. That's not what it's about. Dragon is the word dracon. Dracon means to fascinate or feel good. To fascinate. Dragon has the basic same meaning as serpent in Genesis 3 and 1. Serpent is the word nakash. It comes from a word with the same basic spelling that means to, to enchant. One writer said, enchant means to kill with the eye. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They died with their eye. They looked and desired. And that's idolatry. Idolatria. They looked and didn't live and they died spiritually and they were enchanted and they were fascinated by the serpent when he said, look at the tree. I could go into the tree. I don't have time to do that. So he says, what I created, I didn't create anything in vain. What I created in the first verse is not what's happening in the second verse. God said so himself. Why don't men believe that? And I'm not talking about evolution. I'm talking about the way God did this. There could have been millions of years between verse 1 and verse 2. If he created the... Here's the whole point. If he created the light, all the heavens, in the first verse, you got the sun, moon, and stars is being created up here. Darkness was up on the face of the deep in the second verse. But there was a light from the sun and the stars shining down. Why couldn't it get into the earth? Because there was some kind of film around the earth and the light could not get in. When God said in the third verse, you're not even to the first day yet. God said in the first, the third verse, let there be light. When he said, let there be light, he wasn't saying, let the light be created. He created that in the first verse. He was saying, let the light in. He was saying, circumcise the earth. That's a picture of circumcision. Circumcision is where you cut away all the filth of the flesh and let the light and that's the same thing as predestination. We were innocent in the first verse. Well, that was like the elect was innocent. And then darkness comes in our life. And that's sin. And then when God is ready in our lives. And he wants us to see he says, let the light in to this man. He's one of my predestinated elect 
family. And then you've got six days of making and forming. You have the six days of the works of a potter of making. Those weren't six days of creation. That's ridiculous. I mean, I used to hear Jerry Falwell say, we as independent fabulists believe the earth is 6,000 years old. Yeah, Jerry, you're dead and ignorant. How, where do you think those dinosaurs came from? The first heavens and the first earth was created to be inhabited. That's what the Bible says over in Isaiah forty-five eighteen. He established it. He created it not, to, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There's none else. So what he did... I believe there was a creation, and we don't have any idea of the fact. I keep saying this. When you get to the third verse, he says, let the light in. The light has been speeding toward earth. When you go outside, and to prove the earth is not 6,000 years old, you go out at night, on a clear night, and look at stars. Some of those stars are millions of light years away from us, And what we're seeing is the speeding light coming to us. And some of those stars have been burnt out for millions of years. And light travels at 180. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Light travels every second. It goes 186,000 miles. We've got, we live in the Milky Way. That's our universe. There are billions of universes, 400 billion, most of the scientists believe. In our universe, the Milky Way, in order to transgress or trans. To, to go across our universe, going at 186,000 miles per second, going from one end to the other would take 100,000 years. If you could travel that fast, it's going to take you 100,000 years to get across our universe. Forget the other 400 million universes forget them God is truly magnificent now look here in Revelation this is when you're reading I'm trying to teach you how to think about the Bible when you're reading Revelation or reading any book think about what it's saying ask questions about it and see if you can find something about it there was war in heaven you, you see a dragon with seven heads and ten horns here in verse 3. You see the beast world system in 13 and 1 with seven heads and ten horns. It's the same thing. The beast is it's Satan inhabiting man is what it is. And you see Michael, the archangel, in verse 7, chapter 12 of Revelation... There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. 
and prevailed not, neither was there a place found any more in heaven with the dragon and his angels. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. That's what you're looking at. Cast out, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. But the angels, the fallen angels are not in the earth, and they don't marry women. Where are the fallen angels? Let's look over here in in First Peter. First Peter, here's where the fallen angels are. And where is Satan? Well, we'll look and see. All right. In Second Peter two and four. If God spared not the angels that sinned, that's the fallen angels, but cast them down to hell, I said it last week, I'll say it again, that word hell is Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. Tartarus is only mentioned one time in the Bible here. And it translates the lowest parts of hell. They were cast down to hell and delivered unto chains of darkness. They were there and kept there because it goes on to say they were to, they were reserved unto judgment. Reserved is the word tereo. And tereo means to guard and keep there. They were guarded. It's the same word as, uh, it's the same word that he uses constantly when he's talking about reserving for judgment. Kept. It's always this common word kept or keep. So I got to thinking years ago, how can you tell in chapter 12 or in, in Genesis, how can you tell when Satan was cast to the earth? What you have to do is look for his character. So when you look for his character, the first time you see the character of Satan is in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1, 2. That's his character. Void, darkness, without form. That's Satan's character. Without form. Void, darkness. I believe he was cast into the earth between verses 1 and 2 and then God and then he evidently blocks the light from coming to the earth that's what happens when we get into the sin he blocks the light from coming to our heart then when God says let there be light in this man let there be light in this earth I believe the earth in the first chapter of Genesis is a picture and a type of predestination void comes into our heart God says let the light in and then he begins to work on us for six days six days from Adam unto Christ 
according to the Bible, not the way God, not the way we count, but the way God measures time, was six thousand years. I believe very possibly from Christ in Acts two. Very possibly to the end of time will be two thousand years. We know that we know that in Acts two now this is a theory. I can't prove this, but the Bible says that a day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. When you get to the end of this two thousand years, which will be four thousand years from Adam until Christ and very possibly 2,000 years till the end of time. Acts 2, the Bible says, Peter stood there at Pentecost and said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that this would happen in the last days. What if I said in the last 2,000 years? Acts 2 was approximately 33 to 35 A.D. Now, I'm not trying to quote the pseudepigrapha or the, as an authority, but in the book of Barnabas, Barnabas said he believed that there would be 6,000 years of time. That goes along with the six work days, six work days of God and man being, man's number being six. All through the Bible, it's six and the last days would be the last 2,000 years. That would be, I'm not saying the world's going to end in 33 A.D. or 35 A.D. I do not believe in predicting time. It just looks like that's something that I entertain, and I've entertained that for years, wondering is God going to come somewhere around 2033 to 35 A.D.? It looks like it adds up to that, especially the condition that the world's in today. The world is falling apart. I've never seen in my life. I was a little boy in the 40s, and that was a pretty innocent time to compare to what's going on today. The world is insane. The politicians are crazy. The preachers are lying, not telling the truth. The preachers don't even preach like they did in the... 40s and 50s. It's, if you raise your voice, they say, you're mad. And all the preachers preached raising their voices back then. So, I believe where it all starts, when Revelation 12, I keep saying this, Revelation 12 is a panoramic view Panoramic. Panoramic comes from the word pan. Pan means the all. When you pan an audience, you get all the audience. You sweep the camera around the audience. You pan. Pan was the god, one of the gods of the ancient world. He was the god of all. And another name for pan was you hodos. That's the word that 
Bible says, John said, I wish above all things that you'll prosper. You means well. Hodos is the common word way. Pan was the God of the ways, the God of all the highways. That's what he was. So when you pan something, you sweep it. When I say Revelation 12 was a panoramic view, it's a panoramic view of time from the beginning to the end. You, If you look at Revelation, you have to look at these things, individual visions of John. Now, let's go back over here to Genesis, the first chapter. Have I got all of this figured out? No, that's just what I've worked on for, gosh, 60 or 70 years. See, at least 60. I was introduced to this. Some people call this the gap theory. It's not near as much a theory as the six days of creation theory. There's not six days of creation. You're not even to the, you're not even to the light yet and let there be light when you're without form and void. You're not even to the first day yet. There were six days of making and forming and God was taking the, let me give this to you again. God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw the light that it was good. He says it was good seven times in this chapter. And the last time he says it over in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, saw molded together, and behold, it was very good, M-E-O-D, each other time, he said good. He used the word T-O-W-V. Tove. And pronounced T-O-W-V. Tove. And Moed means it was holy or completely superlative. It was the best of the best. He said it seven times. I said last week the word seven is Sheba. Sheba. And when you take an oath to God, you can't take an oath until you add these seven things, and that takes a lifetime. Shabuah is the word oath. And it means to seven oneself. And when you add these seven things, you'll never fall. Make your calling and election sure. Sure is the word be by us. That means to stabilize. By adding the seven. And that's not a choice on your part. Now, I'm going to give you a couple other things. So, let's look here in, God says, let us make man in our image in 126. 127, he created man in his own image. And he placed a garden there in two and eight, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Where was Eden? Look down here at, you're going to find Eden was in, Eden was, 
It had to do with the rivers in that area, and they measured that out for you. Look here in verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence was parted and became into four heads. And the name of the first is Pison. And Pison, when you look it up, means the Nile. It can be the Nile or Ganges. Ganges would be in India, and I don't believe it's the Ganges for a main reason. The Nile River comes out of Egypt and runs that down through Egypt. The Nile. Now we're talking about the Garden of Eden. Now that's that would be the Nile River, Pizan, that which is compass compasseth the whole land of Havilah. There is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and there's Delium, the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. Now, Gihon can be the Nile, and and the name of the third river is Hidekel. Hidekel is Tigris, the Tigris River. So, when you look at, let's look at a map where you got Egypt. So we're getting the, we're getting, here's the Nile River right here. Here is the Tigris right here. So this would be, Eden would be in this boundary line right here. From the Nile over the Tigris. And the Tigris is in the area of the Euphrates, and that's where Babylon was. That's just above the Persian Gulf. Babylon was in the area of Euphrates. So east of Eden would be over here in the area of Babylon. And then, let's look at, and it is which goeth toward the east of Assyria and the river is Euphrates. So Euphrates and Tigris, Eden has to be somewhere in the neighborhood east of the Nile River, over in the area of Tigris and Euphrates, somewhere where Babylon was. That's why it was so easy for Babylon to adapt to the Garden of Eden and to begin corrupting themselves with the Garden of Eden worship, with the tree worship. Then, I want to show you something concerning this. I want you to look here at Genesis 15. The Bible gives you the original boundaries of Israel. What we know is Israel wasn't the original boundaries. And he tells you over here, in the 15th chapter that the boundaries 
and he's talking to Abraham. He said, you're going to dwell and be afflicted by your enemies for 400 years, but that would start with Joseph. And he says down here in verse 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between these pieces. And the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham unto thy seed. Have I given this land from the river of Egypt? That's the Nile unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So originally, Israel was from the Nile River up to the Euphrates. That's the same boundaries that you find in the third chapter of Genesis. That was the boundaries of Eden. So eastward in Eden would be up here around the Euphrates River is where where Babylon was. That's why they adapted that fire worship so easy and reproduced the tree worship of the garden. Because they had, they had all kinds of, uh, they would build all kinds of worship centers or temples for this tree worship in the garden over in that area. Now, when you're reading these things, I want you to think this way. Now, I'm going to show you something. How much time do I have, Mike? 24. We're talking about all the way through, all the way through the Bible. The Lord says, if you go after other gods, I'll send four judgments. I will send these judgments, the sword, the famine, The pestilence, that's disease, and the beast. You've got all four of these in the garden. You're going to find all through the Bible that the beast is the ruling system of the civilized world. That's what God said he would carry Israel away with was the beast, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The reason he called it the beast was because he represented Babylon by the lion, the most regal of all the animals of the Serengeti, Persia, was represented by the bear, the largest carnivore in the world. And Persia had the largest armies. They would take two and a half million men and attack Carthage in the Great War. And then you had the leopard. A leopard is a killing machine. If he comes after you, you're going to die. A leopard can take a 150-pound man in his teeth and climb to the top of a tree. And the Rome was the beast with iron teeth that devoured all these others. Iron teeth. You got these four judgments in the garden. You got the sword. Look here in Genesis. The sword was to was to 
chastise Israel with. David said in Psalms 15, Deliver me from the wicked, which is thy sword in thy hand, evil man. And you look here in verse 31 of Genesis, the third, the Genesis, the third chapter, in verse, not 31, and Genesis 24. So God drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, cherubims, where you'd pronounce it, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life, to protect the tree of life, lest they should eat and live forever. They went straight to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there's the sword in the garden. Where is the rest of this? Look here in look here in in uh look up here well let's look at the famine or let's look at the pestilence. What would be the pestilence in this chapter? It would be the death it would be death spiritually of Adam and Eve. That that is their spiritual death. It would be the pestilence, and the pestilence is always associated with the famine. And because they ate of the tree, let me say this slow. Because they ate of the tree, God brought famine in the garden. And with the famine, he brought the marriage vows at the same time. He tells Adam and Eve in that, excuse me, I flipped away from it. He tells them in the 17th verse of the third chapter, unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. The ground's cursed. There's going to be famine. You're going to have to work. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. That's going to be famine. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou turn, return to the ground, for out of it thou wast taken from dust, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. There's the famine, and he's given Adam and Eve their marriage vows. That's very important to understand. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve means mother of living. Mother. This kind of does away with that theology of Arnold Murray that there were men living on the earth in the first creation. Eve's the mother of all living. If she's the mother of all living, all living has to come out of Eve. 
when you say Sabbath Eve, that was Friday. That was Friday was the mother of the Sabbath. That's what it meant. Now, let's look and see if we can find. There's something I want to show you. Got to pay close attention. When God comes and confronts Adam and Eve in verse 15, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now, she was very misunderstanding of these words. And thou shalt bruise, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's a prophecy that when Christ comes back, he'll have his heel on the head of Satan, and he'll destroy him in that 19th chapter of Revelation. And then he says unto the woman, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and this is very interesting, thy conception. He didn't say, I'll multiply your future conceiving. He said, conception, the word is heron, H-E-R-O-W-N. It means pregnancy. She was already pregnant. She was already pregnant. Where did she get pregnant from? Adam. When they looked at each other before they ate at the tree, they did not know they were naked. And when they looked at each other, what they wanted to do was take each other. When a naked, after they had eaten, their eyes were open, they knew right from wrong, they knew good from evil. And they saw each other, and they're naked, and they wanted each other. And there was nobody else in the world they could be unfaithful to. There was no other woman, no other man in the world. So they took one another. I believe he was probably very handsome, and she was very beautiful. And he wanted her. And that's when she got pregnant. Here's the key. Cain was the first pregnancy of Eve. They were not... Cain and Abel were not twins. That's another foolish thing that Arnold Murray used to teach. They were not twins. Cain was conceived out of wedlock. The, The vows weren't given until God says, you'll take the woman and you'll listen to the voice of your wife And he goes on to say, you'll earn your living by the sweat of your brow. And verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins. That's putting it very simple to say, God killed an animal. You know what I believe he killed? And who was this in the garden with Adam? It was Jesus. Pre-incarnate, before he was called Jesus. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. Word was with God. The Word was God. 
and all things were made by the word made formed that was Jesus before he was called Jesus in that first chapter and were made by Jesus without him was not anything made that was made and the word which is Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us so the word is the one that was walking with Adam in the garden and telling him thou shalt not he says that let me give this to you in verse 15 of chapter not 15 in verse in verse 16 of chapter 2 the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest he didn't say if you eat Adam was made out of that corrupt dust that Satan had corrupted when he corrupted all the world he corrupted the stars the stars aren't clean in his sight the moon is not clean Satan corrupted everything in our universe and the universe is beyond he had a tremendous ability to corrupt and he corrupted all of it. Therefore, when God picked up Adam and made him out of the dust of the ground, he made him out of corruption. That's where that outer man comes from. It's the fleshly man. The, this flesh serves self. Boy, do I ever know that. And then he says, for in the day that you eat, not if you eat, but you will eat, you're made of corruption. He had to eat because before this happened, Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. If he was slain, who was he slain for? Adam's descendants that would be in sin because they were made of that corrupt outer man. You've got to stop and think when you're reading the Bible. So he's made of corruption, and the day you eat, you will die. He didn't say if you eat. There's no if to it. Our names were written in the book of life before the foundation, before foundation of the world names written in the book of life why because there has to be sin god wanted sin so he could be angry at it if god doesn't create sin doesn't create evil there can't be any sin or evil god can't touch evil but he's got an instrument that can and his instrument is called the devil or satan and god can use him to stir things up you know what this is like this is not hard when the Bible says when you're drawn away you're drawn away of your own lust and entice in James the first chapter we have lust in this outer man of this flesh where did we get it we got it from God it's the same thing when a man and woman get together and say let's have a baby and they're married they get together intimately she gets pregnant they don't say, well, since the baby didn't say didn't say he wanted to be born, we're not going to hold him accountable or responsible for anything. That's not the way it works. 
we'll have babies and then we'll say, you've got to behave yourself and we know you're not going to. So I'm going to whip you and spank you and put you through these fiery trials and persecution and make you grow up and be a good boy. <laughs> That's what God did. They think it's okay if we do that, but it's not, not okay if God does that. The outer man is just the flesh that cannot behave itself. So God has picked out certain ones to be his family, whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed through the persecution, the fire, and the trials, through the image of his Son. So you got the sword, the famine, the pestilence. Where's the beast in the first chapter, in the third chapter, in the first verse? The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. The word serpent is nakash. It means to whisper or enchant. There's the beast. It's the serpent. Who was ruling in the garden? The beast. He got his way, didn't he? He said, Thou shalt not surely die. And he caused the death of Adam and Eve spiritually. Do I believe they were believers? Yes, I do. God's not talking to men in person that don't believe in him. I don't believe Adam. The Bible says Adam was not deceived but Eve. How did Adam get involved in eating of that forbidden fruit? She seduced him. You know what he wanted? I believe this. I believe Adam wanted to be with his wife, so he died with his wife and for his wife. He wasn't deceived. The Bible says he wasn't. Why is it that she wasn't, he wasn't? He got his instructions directly from God. She got her instructions from him. That's the way it works. I really believe that what was in the tree, so you got the beast, that's the serpent, and he was enchanting. You got pestilence, that's death of Adam and Eve spiritually. You got the famine, that's that's the food problem. God says, I'm going to curse the ground. I'll curse the serpent. And you got the sword at the door of the garden. So you got, these are the same thing. These are the same thing as Revelation 6. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Four horsemen. A-P-O-K-A-L-Y-P-S-E. A-P-O-K-A-L-Y-P-S-E. It's our word apocalypse. It means a removal of the calypto cover. Removal of the cover. Let's look at those four horsemen. Do I have any time? What time is How much time, Mike? Six. Six minutes. I'll just give you this real quick. It's the same thing as the four horsemen. I was going to get back to some of these other places that man has to quit. His All of these. They're the same thing. Whenever you find sin, it's the same thing. It's just serving this flesh when you go over to revelation you got four horsemen 
See if I can put this in here real quick. Four horsemen. The first horse is a white horse. It's a white horse. All rulers in the in the ancient world, when they were going into battle, they rode a white horse. This is not Christ. The reason you know it's not Christ is because of the following horsemen. A white horse meant a ruler of an empire. That would be the beast, mainly because of the second three horses. They have to align with this one. And the second horse is a red horse, and he has a sword. The the third horse is a black horse, and he's got scales in his hand saying a measure of barley for three pennies and a measure of wheat for a penny. Wheat was the rich man's food. The barley was the poor man's. A penny was a denarius, and that's what it took to live all day long on bread at that time. And a penny was the wages of a Roman soldier and of a slave in the field. So that's the black horse is showing famine. Remember, the red horse has got a sword. The white horse is the beast. And the last horse is a pale horse or a greenish horse. And death and hell ride with him. Pestilence. The pestilence was in the garden. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are the same thing. How long have these horsemen been riding? Ever since the garden. This is not a new thing. It's an old thing. And all through the Old Testament, God said, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, all the way through. The pestilence is disease. All this coronavirus, AIDS, Ebola, you name it. For hundreds of years, has been because of the lies going on in the pulpits. It has nothing to do with Democrats and Republicans. And people say it's not that serious. Well, you just keep on playing with it. Maybe you'll get coronavirus and God will see to it to take you out of here. Just, there's so much in this, in this first and second chapter of Genesis. The main reason that Cain was not named in the lineage of Adam Cain's lineage, boy, this takes us somewhere else. Cain's lineage is in the fourth chapter. His his lineage does not go back to Adam. He, these were the sons of men, Cain. And Cain was not named, this is in Genesis 4, and Genesis 5 is the sons of God, starts with Adam, then Seth. Seth means substitute. He took the place of Abel. This is actually Abel's lineage. Abel. And then goes on down through Enosh and Canaan, Mahalalel, and Jared, and and then Enoch and Methuselah, and on down to Lamech, and then Noah and his three sons. This is the lineage of God here. It goes all the way to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason Cain was, you can't trace him back to God because he was conceived out of wedlock. He was a bastard. 
bastards. They called them mamzers in New Testament Greek. Mamzer. A mamzer had no inheritance with God. That's why he wasn't named in the fifth chapter. He was a mamzer. Proof of that is God says, I'll multiply the pregnancy that you've already got. And I got some more things to say on that. I believe that when Cain was born, she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. I believe she mistook God's words, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow my conception. And and he's saying, I'll bring forth a seed out of you and a seed out of Satan. The seed of Satan was Cain, but it wasn't a literal seed. It was because she listened to the serpent. It wasn't what Arnold Murray says. It wasn't a sexual affair between Satan and how, who in the world ever said angels had male genitalia so they could reproduce? You're not going to find that in the Bible anywhere. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to see more of this. And God will praise you for everything you do. You're doing everything and I just turn it over to you, Lord. I I don't want to wrestle with anything anymore. Lord, fight my battles. I've got a lot of battles that need fighting, and only you can fight them. Help all the church to stop fighting those that are watching. We're not to fight each other or fight anybody. Even when men are at fault, we're not to be fighting them. Lord, we let... We're to allow you to deal with them. Lead us to your elect family. Teach us this word, word by word. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe I'll get to those other chapters next week.